Now the grace and peace of God our Father and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you. This morning, this morning I want you to know what Paul has boldly preached, that whatever gains you have made in this old world, whatever they may be, whatever you hold most tightly to, while in light of the gospel of Christ, it is all loss. Eventually, it will all be lost, but Christ now is your gain. His forgiveness is your best treasure because it will bring to you the resurrection from the dead, and there is nothing better than this. Yes, no matter what your successes or failures up to this point, and you may have had plenty of both, Christ is brought here now to take away your sins and to give you life everlasting. These now are yours on account of Christ's word. Amen. When I was in junior high, the rapper Vanilla Ice came out with a song called Ice Ice Baby. Some of you remember this song. It was very popular, and in that day it sold many tapes and CDs. But with such success, it also found some scrutiny. As you may remember, Ice Ice Baby and Vanilla Ice are more popular because, well, the bass line for Ice Ice Baby was dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. You remember this? Yeah? Sounded a little bit like Queen, the riff in Queen's song, Pressure, which was something like dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Kind of similar, maybe very similar. Well, they eventually went to court, of course, and figured out the details there. But the reality is musicians borrow musical phrases and ideas all the time. Using a phrase that worked one way here in this song does something completely different or complements what happened first in another place in another song. This is how communication happens. And perhaps you prefer a classical example. You may think of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony might still be singing in your head if you went to the South Dakota Symphony concert last night with all the musical phrases and themes introduced and interwoven. And you know this one. You all know this. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun-dun. You know this theme and the ones that follow are used and recycled throughout the movements. This is, in fact, what makes not for only a great pop song, but a great symphony as well. Well, this is a long introduction to the pairing of our Old Testament text from Isaiah 5 and our Gospel reading in Matthew 21, because Isaiah is, is singing a love song in Isaiah 5 about an unfruitful vineyard. I don't know if that sounds very romantic to you or not, but this is Isaiah's love song and of course, all good love songs are written because something has happened to the love. Something has changed. And Isaiah's song is no different. Isaiah repurposes a, what's actually a traditional vineyard harvest song to tell Israel that God has prepared them as a beautiful vineyard. He has found them the perfect promised land on a fertile hill, cleared it of all the rocks, this is, of course, what you dream of doing when you're in love, clearing all the rocks away so all you have is the beautiful, fertile land. God has done this, Isaiah sings, planted them as the best vines, dug up a wine pit, in fact, built a fence to keep out the thieves and made a watchtower to protect all of this beauty. It sounds very romantic when you begin to think of all this work. Except that the song turns and says, where God wanted it to yield grapes, it yielded wild grapes. And apparently you can't use, use wild grapes for much. What could be done with such a vineyard? What could be done with Israel? 
Isaiah sings that God will actually remove the hedge, break down the walls, and make it a waste. And this, isn't not, this is not exactly the end of a love song that you might hope for. But God is not done yet. And the song is not over yet, thanks to good recycling of musical themes. This is the song of Isaiah 5. And while Jesus is certainly better than Vanilla Ice and even Beethoven, he, like Vanilla Ice and Beethoven, takes this well-known riff, this vineyard song, and uses it to continue teaching to the chief priests, who, if you remember from our gospel last week, were questioning Jesus' authority. Last week, Jesus told the parable of the two sons. This week, Jesus follows with this parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Does this sound familiar? Dun, 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 dun. I mean, you take your pick. Jesus is playing off this song that the chief priests and Pharisees certainly knew from Isaiah 5. He's calling out the musical theme and using it, and everyone would recognize it. They would know that God is the landowner, and this has something to do with Israel. But then something different happens in the song. Jesus tells that the tenants did not want to pay their rent. And no matter who was sent to collect the rent, whether it be servants or slaves or eventually even the landowner's own son, they hurt them. And not only that, they killed some of them, including the son. And when Jesus asked what the landowner should do, the Pharisees and chief priests said emphatically, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants. Little do they know yet that Jesus is talking about them. And they have just condemned themselves. Yet by the end of the teaching, they will be so hopping mad, they're ready to arrest Jesus. And they will do that shortly and kill him, God's own son, just as the parable said. They are stuck, these chief priests. And while when we hear this song and this parable, we are tempted not to include ourselves with the chief priests, we might hear this as a cautionary tale, don't do what they did. We might say to ourselves, we would have done better, paid the rent, certainly. It is not true. That love song is also about us, we sinners who, like the Pharisees and the chief priests, believe that we can develop our own way, a better way to peace, our own self-righteousness, whether it be by our possessions or good works, we, like the wicked tenants, are full of our own schemes too. And Jesus, God's own Son, has come for your sake as well. He continues his teaching, Jesus. He introduces a new theme of hope. He says, have you never read in the Scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? That this was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes here is a new tune. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. There is hope here, but there is obviously a warning as well. The warning is that we have all rejected the one chosen to hold it all together, the cornerstone this so-called freedom of the will, our freedom to choose 
will not help us here. In fact, Jesus says it will be crushed by this Jesus Christ. This cornerstone has come, and he is amazing in our eyes. He's come now for your sake. Yet we rejected him. We killed him. But he was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of these very sins, for your very sins. And that is how the vineyard is made fruitful once again. Not by the right people occupying the promised land, though that is a dream of many. That argument continues to this day, in fact, as fighting erupts in Israel now. With the walls down, who will occupy? This is the question of the law. But God has another plan, a different plan. It is that the vineyard is made fruitful only in the forgiveness of Christ. Christ, who came for those people there who are fighting today. Christ, who came for you. All of the rest is loss, but now Christ is gain. Paul recognized this as well. He wrote to the Philippians about his own prowess in the law. He said, if anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I've mentioned before that when we do Bible studies on Paul's letter, it's not uncommon for someone to say, you know, it's a little annoying how full of himself Paul is. He boasts better than anyone I know, and it is true, but Paul does this to set up the very next verse. He says, yet whatever gains I had, and I had many by the law, he says, I have come to regard them as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on the law. And here the vineyard is made fruitful, and here a new verse is added to the song. In fact, it is a verse that will make you new, will bring new life to Israel and to you. Now he puts you in this beautiful vineyard and gives you his fruitfulness. Here is a song that you can not only borrow for yourself, but it is your song. For Christ has redeemed you. You have heard it here. This song, first song in your baptism, Lou now has this song in her heart. It is the song of Christ. But you'll hear the theme not long from now in this service in the Lord's Supper as well, where the wine and the bread, the fruit of the vine, the fruit of the field, are actually the body and blood of the one who gave his life for you. Given for you, shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. This now is your song. Amen. Amen.